Well, hello there, and welcome to another edition of Servant's Heart Chapel. I hope uh, this particular episode is a special blessing to you. So let's get right to it. <clears throat> Amen. Today I'm going to uh, try to uh, preach through Acts 27 and 28 together without preaching too long. I'm a big believer in not preaching too long. Is that okay with you guys? Okay. I don't, I, I don't see the value. I try to bring something to you. I work hard all week to produce something. You guys took your time out to be here today. And so I take that very seriously. And, and I want to provide you something that's of value to you. And it's a help and an encouragement to you. <clears throat> but I don't like to preach too long because I find we preach too long. No matter how good the sermon is, hard to pay attention to it, isn't it? And so... I try to keep more concise uh, with that. I keep a timer on myself so that doesn't happen. There are times in our life, these mile markers, these these points, these moments in our life where we realize everything's about to change. And I was thinking about that in my own life. I remember uh, a camping trip I had when I was 17 year old, years old with my best friend. His parents had a piece of property with a few acres on it, so you could kind of get a little lost in the bush in, in, in Arizona. And, and so we set up a tent. We had a campfire and tried to cook a chicken and, and all kinds of fun stuff. And I, and I remember talking to him thinking, you know, how great this is and we need to do this more often. And he was like, well, we're actually about to graduate high school, and then we're, you know, this is probably the only time we're going to be doing this. And I thought, you know what? You're right. This is probably the last time. The last thing I'll do as a child. And uh, that kind of that was it. Kind of gave me pause at that moment. That everything was about to change. And I, a few months later, at that high school graduation, I'm leaving the football field with my parents. You know, the graduation ceremony is over. The mass exodus into the parking lot. And we're walking out into the parking lot, this dark parking lot. And I look out into the darkness. And, and to me, that really re- that moment really represented the, the unknown of my future. High school was over. Now what? And this, this everything, I knew everything's going to change. And then... Um, and then a few months later, I, I, I had decided that I was going to live for God, that I wasn't going to live uh, the, the way my friends, all my friends at that time were their gang members or stoners. And it's like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm living for the Lord. And I felt God call me to a Bible college in Cincinnati, Ohio, more than a thousand miles away. I didn't know anybody. Actually, I actually knew one family there, but that was it. I didn't know anybody else. And I was scared. And, I'm, and, and my one friend was, was driving me to the airport. My best friend was with us. And I was sitting in the back seat. I just started crying. Because even though I knew it was the right thing to do, it was so hard. But I knew everything was, I knew that that moment, nothing was going to be the same. Leaving home. And, and, and then, I, and fast forward I, uh, several years. I, in August 3rd, 1996, that morning I wake up in the hotel room and I realize I'm about to get married. 
Like everything's gonna change. And I was excited, but it, it gave me pause once again. Like nothing was gonna be the same. I was no longer gonna live from just for myself. I had somebody else, a life partner that God was giving me, and I and 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 it was gonna be both of us together in life, and not just me, not just my wants and my desires and my needs, but I was gonna be living for someone else. Everything's changing. And then it fast forward a few years. Uh, actually, uh, uh, um, about six months later, I Missy's driving me to to uh, um, a hotel in Ohio to be dropped off to go to basic training. You know, and, and the tears were flowing, and and I knew I'd be gone from her for you know barely just been newlyweds for six months, and here I was I was having to leave for and probably be a couple months before I got the to be with her again. Everything's changing. And then fast forward uh, a, a couple more years, and I'm holding Cody in my arms. And I think, I, I'm a dad. I have a child I'm responsible for. I have to bring this child up in the Lord and make sure he... He, he loves God and he follows, does what's right. Because I want to see him get to heaven. Everything's changing. So many uh, 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 transformational moments uh, and, and, and really just, they're just stops along life, aren't they? There's significant stops in life, turns, if you will. They're, they're, they're diverting paths. I, I could have... I could have not followed after God and ended up in prison or dead like all my friends had been. I could have not gotten married and still been single and never, and never known the joys of being a husband and father. I could have gotten married but not have kids and never known the joys of, of Cody. The joys of Cody. Or my daughter, Cheyenne. who was another life transformation just a few months ago that momentous moment that nothing was going to be the same when I was walking my daughter down the aisle and giving her hand to her new husband. Life is a journey full of these, 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 these points where you walk up and there's a fork in the road and, and you go down one path or you can go down the other path, but there's always a better path. One of those is going to be better. And sometimes one of those is going to mean uh, a, a fulfilling, rich life or a life full of, full of pain and suffering and anguish, misery. One of my, my favorite poems, you know, two roads diverged and I, I took the one less travel by and that has made all the difference. That is how I feel about my life. How things go depends on the choices we make Make a better choice or a lesser choice. And here we have Paul at the at chapter 27. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, Acts chapter 27, Paul um, is living out his choices. Paul, when he first started out, remember, he was not a Christian. He, he, and, and, and he hunted down Christians and tortured them and put them in prison and voted for them to be killed. That's what Paul did. And then 
Paul met Jesus. And that just changed everything for him. Nothing was going to be the same. Now, he could have rejected Jesus. You understand that? But he didn't. He surrendered to him, and he said, I'm going I'm to fall after you. Even though, so God told Ananias, another Christian man, that he was going to teach Paul what it means to suffer for Christ. So Paul was going to have Joseph some suffering. He'd already, by chapter 27, he had been beaten, uh, beaten almost to death, right? They thought he would, had died one time. Been shipwrecked and, 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 and hung, times he was hungry and he was cold. And, and I, we've talked before about all the miles, the hundreds and hundreds of miles that he walked. They didn't have Uber back then. And so he walked um, these different places to share the gospel to others. Paul made a choice. And here we, he, he's, he's ending near the end of his life now. Making his way to ultimate sacrifice for Christ. As Paul wrote here, verse 1 in chapter 27, when it was decided that we were to set sail in Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. So when we had boarded a ship uh, to Adrantitum, we put to sea, intending to sail ports along the coast of Asia. Uh, Aristarchus, uh, uh, Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends and receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. That's important. They had, they had to change plans because the winds were against them. After sailing through the open sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Mera and Cilicia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board, sailing slowly for many days, we came with difficulty as far as Sindus, uh, since the wind did not allow us to approach it. The wind didn't allow them to approach where their destination. We sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmon. With yet more difficulty, we sailed along coast, the coast and came to a place called Fairhaven near the city of Lesia. They had a lot of struggles just traveling, didn't they, right there? Like nothing was, was working out their way. Have you ever had to adapt and overcome to life struggles, life's challenges? When I, in 1999, I, was, uh, I found out that I'd been tagged for a year-long tour in Korea and I couldn't bring my family. I was not really happy about that, but I was in the military. Well, I was expected. I signed up for it, so... I don't complain. I just do it. And tell you, the worst part was really that first morning, waking up, realizing where I was and how long it'd be before I saw my family again. And this is before we had video calls, but it really wasn't much. It was uh, it was over a, a telephone line, and and the resolution it was real blocky and. It was not like FaceTime or anything. We didn't, 
we had email that was that was a relatively new still relatively new back then but i you know i i could have i could have been just miserable there were some guys that would sit there in the dorm and not do anything and just be miserable and go to work and come to their room and just be miserable I tried to make the most of it. I tried to learn new things. I tried to learn the guitar, but that's evidently not my forte. Did not succeed. Drove my roommate nuts. Poor guy. I feel bad. For, I feel bad about it now, but back then I had no clue. Um, I tried. I, I did all these. I tried to make the best of it, and and also I, I studied for my next rank. I was like, well. I'm stuck here. I better make you know, the next rank. So I better study. So I don't have distractions. The family missing the kids were home taking care of things. I, I you know, um, there are times where it's like no matter what you do, there, there's, there's some kind of barrier. When I think of that, you know, life's journey and all these different, all these different barriers, I think of a man by the name of Horatio Nelson Jackson, Horatio Nelson Jackson. Uh, Mr. Jackson was the first man to drive across the U.S. Uh, I think this was 1930. I think so. Um, it was a $50 bet. He was in San Francisco. Um, and he said, yeah, I can drive across the U.S. Um and there's his, his he, he, uh, he, along the way, he picked up a, a pit bull, called him Bud. And so Bud rode with him a lot of the way, and he had his mechanic with him. So him and his mechanic and their dog Bud traveled across the U.S., vast open plains, a lot of places there weren't any real road. Um, they, they, in fact, they, a lot of times they used the, the Oregon, Oregon Trail that has followed Wagon tra <laughs> Trail to, to get across and get from San Francisco to New York. And he did it, but it wasn't without constant problems. 15 miles out of town, he had his first flat. I mean, he didn't make it 20 miles. And that was just the beginning. Just about every part in that car was repaired or replaced. About every part. Uh, and just constant challenges just trying to find gasoline and, and not being gouged. And a couple of times he was charged a whole lot of money, including he was charged about $200 toll just across somebody's property. $200 in today's money. I think it was like $15 back then. <clears throat> I have a lot of respect for this guy. He knew what his goal was and he worked towards it and he just hammered out and figured out how can we do this no matter what. And, and he didn't get discouraged. He didn't turn around and give up. And I think as Christians, we can learn a lot from this. When things get hard, like they have been for Paul, like they're about to get harder, we don't give up. We say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need strength from you. Help me. And God always helps. Give me strength for the day, Lord. Help my faith not to fail, I pray. Oops. 
verse 9. By now much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous, since the, the fast was already, the fast being uh, the Day of Atonement fast. There's a, there's a few God for the Israelites uh, had, had proclaimed feast days. There were feast days and there were fasting days. And the Day of Atonement was one of those fasting days. Right. And, and the day of the fast was already over. Paul gave his advice and told them, men, I can see that this voyage, so they're on the ship, they're, they're battling, right? He said, I can see this void is headed towards damage and heavy loss, not only for the, of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. Verse 11, but the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor in Crete, that's in Greece, uh, open to the southwest and northwest and to winter there. So they didn't want to stay where they were at because it wasn't as nice as this other harbor city Phoenix was. And, and so they didn't listen to Paul. They went by someone else's advice. Have you ever offered advice and only to have it ignored? And you're trying to help that person, but they ignore you, and they end up getting causing more problems for themselves because they didn't listen. And you're like, if you don't want to listen to me, right? It's frustrating, isn't it? I've, I've, I've talked to many, many people say, look, you need to stop, you know, this sin that you're involved in, you, you know, it's wrong. You've got to stop doing it. You got to start coming to church. You got to start following God. You got to start uh, taking God seriously and, 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 and start taking sin in your life seriously. And they ignore me. They have all kinds of excuse. Oh, I'll do that later. I'm not ready yet. Or they don't admit the sin at all. And they say, oh, it was so-and-so's fault. It wasn't my fault. They take no ownership of it. And later on, they end up gone, lost. A lot of people that have tried to help, they're back in prison now. They're back in jail. I tell you, don't take that personally. You're trying to help somebody. They're only hurting themselves. Don't take that personally. Just continue to love them and pray for them. Verse 13, when a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But not long afterward, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island since the ship was caught and was able, was unable to head into the wind we gave way to it and were driven along after running under the shelter of a little island called Kuda we were barely able to get the control of the skiff the skiff was the like the lifeboat they had after hoisting it up they used ropes and tackle to gird the ship they were actually using ropes to brace the ship so it wouldn't tear apart. Everything was so violent. So the water was so violent. They, so they, they created like a, a rope girdle around the ship to hold it together. 
Uh, then fearing they would run aground in the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and this way they were driven along. Verse 18, because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day, they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. So they started getting rid of all the extra stuff in the ship. This wild storm. Can you imagine being that storm where you're just thrown around? And there's no land in sight, and you don't know what to do. And maybe you can't swim that well. And this is before life vests, so there are no life vests to put on. It'd be scary, wouldn't it? Yeah. And and so that's this what's going on here with this. Uh, verse 20, for many days neither sun nor stars appeared and the severe storm kept raging. Finally, all hope that would be saved was disappearing. Since many were going without food, Paul stood up among them and said, you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage because there will be no loss to any of our lives, but only of the ship. For this night an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and look. God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, take courage, men, because I believe God that it will be just the way it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. When the 14th night came, we were drifting uh, in, in the Adriatic Sea, and in the middle of the night, the sailors thought we were approaching land. They took a sounding and found it to be 120 feet deep. When they sailed a little further and sounded again, they found it to be 90 feet deep. Then fearing they might run aground to some rocky place, they dropped their four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out the anchors from the, from the bow. They were trying to sneak. Did you catch that? Some of the sailors tried to sneak away with the lifeboat. Paul said to the centurion, the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop, drop away. So they just got rid of the lifeboat. When it was about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food. Saying, today is a 14th day that you've been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for this has to do with your survival, since none of you will lose a hair from your head. Sometimes it's important to take care of yourself when going through very difficult times. I was uh, I was telling someone not too long ago that when I was 19, I broke my ankle real bad, compound fracture, and, and there was a possible serious infection. So they were giving me some really strong antibiotics, and I was reacting to that. It, it, it made me very, very depressed. I was sleep 12 hours a day. I was going to college. I didn't go to any of my classes. But I would eat once a day only because I knew I needed to eat. And so I'd make myself eat once a day. 
Sometimes you got to take care of yourself. And, and, and there are times and difficulties where God it reminds me of when Elijah, Elijah was really depressed. He was running away for his life and he felt like he was the only one in Israel who followed after God. He was really discouraged and he was really wishing he would just die. And God took care of him. He brought him to a peaceful place by a brook where there was some water and he had food brought to him. That's how God handles us when we're discouraged, when we're going through tough times. So Paul has them eat. Uh, verse 36, they all became encouraged and took food themselves. There were about 276 of us on the ship. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. They're about to, there's about to be a shipwreck. The ship is about to come apart, and they're going to swim for their lives to the, the, the a nearby island. Their whole, their whole means of survival is coming apart at the seams, and the storm is overhead, and it's raging all around, and the waves are thrashing about. It's kind of life, a, a, a storm in life where you feel like everything is just coming apart in your life. You ever feel like your life was kind of a shipwreck? And you have no control over it? Maybe it's... Your life is a complete upheaval. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your spiritual life. Maybe it's your emotions. I struggled with uh, depression for years. This felt very dark. But God helped me through it. <clears throat> maybe maybe your, your life was a, has been recently in shipwreck or you're going through a shipwreck right now. I want you to remember two things. Number one, according to Paul, what we see in Paul's life, God always guides us. When our life starts to fall apart, if we look to him, God will always guide us in the way we should go. Remember that. Number two, Missy and I are studying the book of uh, Job. Every Friday we have devotion, a devotion time together and, and, and we're going through the book of Job. And, and Job was this righteous man, followed after God, and lost almost everything in an, almost in a matter of minutes. Lost all his wealth, lost all his children, his, all his children died. I, got, I told you about some people I know who lost one child. And what the, you imagine the pain they're going through. To lose all your kids, and then he and then he and then he lost his health. He started developing these painful boils all over his body. And to me, that and and I hope I, for those of you who haven't read the book, I hope I don't spoil the ending for you. But it turns out okay. God takes care of things. 
But I want you to know that what this, what Job, the lesson of Job taught us regarding life shipwrecks, God will guide you, but sometimes you're going to have to wait. Wait for that guidance. Do not be foolish and just start jumping the gun and jump into things because God, God's not fast enough for you. I've done that. I've jumped the gun and made decisions that turned out to be bad decisions and caused myself more trauma and more frustration and more heartache than if I just waited for God to guide me. Those two lessons there. Verse uh, 39, when daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosing the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable while the stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim away and escape. Because if a prisoner got away, the soldier's life was forfeit. So that's why they were considering that. The soldier would have been killed if he had let a prisoner get away. Verse 43, but the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow, some on planks and some on debris from the ship. In this way, everyone reached the shore. You know, the Bible talks about, we talk about life shipwrecks occurring, but sometimes, sometimes we, we, we do that ourselves. We actually shipwreck ourselves. Paul talked about that in first, we're going to take a little detour, First Timothy chapter 1, just a couple of verses here, you don't have to turn to it, I'll just read it to you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Actually, let me read verse 18 too. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about, about you, so that by them you may, be, you may strongly engage in battle, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander are among them, and I've declared them to Satan so they may be taught not to blaspheme. So these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, began to blaspheme, began to say things that were against what the Bible taught, and have made shipwreck of their faith. Their, their faith, if you stop believing in God, if you stop trusting God, that's faith, by the way. We exercise faith all the time. We, when you go sit down on a chair, you are, you are exercising faith that chair is not going to break under you. 
And we do it all the time. We don't even think about it, right? We sit in our chair. Once in a great while, the chair fails to live up to our faith, doesn't it? Or we go to start a car. We have faith that car is going to start. We don't even think about it. We just turn the key and ex expect the car to start. Even though cars are not entirely faithful, are they? They let us down sometimes. God is always faithful. God will always do what he says he will do. I I tell you, 30 years of following God, this is what I can tell you. God is faithful. And we can make shipwreck of our faith by denying God, by not trusting him. And it's a terrible tragedy to see it happen. It's heartbreaking. Chapter 28. Verse 1. Once ashore, we then learned I'll lay back up real quick. Let's say, Pastor Darrell, I have made shipwreck of my faith. I have not trusted God. And, and everything's a mess. What do I do? It's really simple. Listen to God now. Obey Him. That's all. It's not an overnight fix. You're going to suffer the consequences of sin for a while. Maybe some, some people even lifelong consequences. Most consequences of sin start going away over a short period of time. But you are going to deal with that. Don't give up. Say, no matter what, right now, I'm going to follow God. You're going to have friends and family who are going to give you a hard time about that. Say, so you do what you need to do. I'm following God. And God will pull you out. He will change your life so radically that a year from now, people won't even recognize you. I have seen it. Years ago, uh, when I was attending the Bible college, I worked security for it, and we had a couple guard dogs, and the guy in charge of the guard dogs was taking them to a uh, guard dog training school. And so I went with him uh, to start doing this training, and the guy who ran the school was this big, tough, greasy, biker-looking guy. And... And uh, my friend turned to me and he said, do you think if I gave him a tract that he'll accept it? A tract is a little booklet that tells people about Jesus. Do you think if I gave him a tract that he would accept it? I said, probably not, but go for it. And so he gave him this tract and the guy took it. And he accepted it. And then the next time he went, he gave him another tract. And the next time he went, he gave him another tract. Sometime a month or so later, this man and his whole family got saved. And I saw them three months later, 
I didn't think it was the same man. Not only, and I just, you know, cutting the hair and, and cleaning up a little bit and looking a little more presentable, but there was, when someone is saved, their heart, their sins are forgiven, and they love the Lord, their face just shines. And that's really the transformation that takes place. Didn't even recognize him. So if life is shipwrecked, listen to God and bear the loss and press on. If you follow after God, I'm telling you, you won't regret it. I promise you. I will stake my entire reputation as a pastor, as a man. I will tell, I'll, I'll put everything on that fact. If you take God seriously, God will take you seriously, and wonderful, amazing things are going to happen in your life. Making shipwreck of your life, it, it, it starts with uh, admitting, God, I've messed things up. I did that. 17 years, I've told a story before, but 17 years old, like I said, all my buddies were gang members or drug dealers, uh, 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 stoners. And, and, and I, I was living that lifestyle and, and going definitely the wrong direction in my life. And, and, and I, I got to a point, I was without hope. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. I feel like there's no point in continuing on. Why? Why continue? And I was considering ending it all. And I was sitting in my room. And I had a box cutter in my hand. And then I sensed God's presence in my room. And I felt like God was asking me, are you willing to try it my way now? And with hot tears flowing down my face, I said, oh, yes. Yes! Absolutely! And I surrendered. And I admitted, I, I made a mess of my life. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like a three-year-old kid trying to drive a car. Absolute mess. And so I let God take over. And I, I've never regretted that. But I started with that confession. God, I need your help. Please forgive me. I've sinned against you. I need, I need Jesus in my life. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I believe he died for me. God took my shipwreck. And he's given me an amazing life. And once in a while, I, I, I find out what my old friends have been up to. And I hear words like dead, prison, prostitution, drug addiction. That's what I hear.
So once ashore, we learn chapter twenty-eight. Once ashore, we learn. I'm not going to read all this. There's no time. I, I and there's not enough for a whole sermon. Let me just give my thoughts and wrap things up. <clears throat> and in the first part of 28, Paul gets bit by a snake. And the locals are like, oh, he's dead. Oh, he must have been a, some wicked criminal, some murderer for that to happen. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and, and it died and and they, they expected him to swell up, do something, but nothing. There was no effect. And they went from, oh, he's a terrible murderer, to, oh, he must be a god. Middle ground. They went from one extreme to the other. You know what I noticed about that? Their perception of Paul did not change who Paul was at all. Other people's perception of you does not change who you are. Only you and God can change who you are. So people think well of you, appreciate that, but don't let that get to your head. If people think badly of you, especially if it's for false reasons, I must admit, False accusations are a weakness of mine. I have a hard time dealing with that when somebody falsely accuses me. But re- reality, it doesn't matter. God, what God thinks matters. And He knows our heart better than we do. So there's that. Um... Yeah, let me wrap up with this. Verse, verse 26, Paul's talking to uh, uh, Jewish people in Rome, trying to share the message of Christ to them. And, and he, he quotes something from Isaiah that really offends them. It makes them mad. And he said, go to these people and say, you will listen and listen and yet never understand. You will look and look and never perceive. For the hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and be converted, and I would heal them. What is that saying? People who reject the truth, God will turn off that ability to understand truth. He'll let you believe to me, this is the scariest reality. God will let you believe what you want to believe. Did you know that? If you reject the truth and say, no, I don't believe that, I believe this instead, God will let you continue to believe that. So that moment where God has convicted you of sin in your life and, and try to get you to restore your relationship with Him, that may be the only time that happens. There's no not necessarily there's not necessarily a tomorrow or a next week. The devil will try to tell you there's plenty of time. You always have tomorrow. You can do it later. You don't have to commit now. It's too much now. Think about it. You'll have to give up too much. But God said, God said. 
The hearts of these people have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. After this, Paul ends up in Rome. He, he's under house arrest. He's allowed to take visitors. And this is where he writes a lot of his letters that we read now as part of the New Testament. And at some point later, uh, he, he's executed. But that's the end of, of Acts. Acts as in action. Action of the apostles. What was their action? Well, they, they witnessed about Jesus, both in what they said and what they did, how they lived their lives. It was, this, was also, this book is also about the actions of the Holy Spirit. We saw the Holy Spirit convict. We saw the Holy Spirit save. We saw the Holy Spirit guide. And did you know that the work continues? We're still expected to act for Christ, to witness in how we live and what we say. And because the Holy Spirit is still convicting, He's still saving, and He's still guiding. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's stand. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. Also, we have a website, servantsheartchapel. Org. Um, we also have a Facebook page, so you're welcome to check us out. I'd love to hear from you, prayer requests, anything you may need. We are here for you. Have a wonderful and blessed day.